Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to the Relax Back UK show. The show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Back UK family and stay tuned. Hi and thank you for joining me with the Relax Back UK show this week. Two very different topics this time. The first one is very serious. It's cumulative bad days. It's like they all stack up on top of each other and it starts to be that you can't imagine any better days. That's a description of depression, which can be really awful and affect many people. That was patient Annie. Also, I talked with Erin Lee, CEO of Flow Neuroscience, which has uh, the following to help with the condition. At the heart of which is really our Flow headset. So what the headset is, is a brain stimulation wearable. Then it's David Marsh, Chief Executive of the New Victoria Hospital in Kingston, London. We talk about lots of things. We talk about the history of the hospital, uh, the change in the habits of self-pay patients, and also this initiative. And we've called it the Community Champion Initiative at New Victoria Hospital, whereby we are providing £125,000 worth of free medical treatment. So please do join me for a great show. Thank you. So my first guests are Erin Lee, CEO of Flow Neuroscience, and Annie, who's a patient with depression. And I asked them first off, just how prevalent is depression in the UK and indeed worldwide? Unbelievably, the World Health Organization estimates that in less than six years, depression will be the leading cause of mortality globally. So that's sort of more than cancer, murder, it is a massive issue. And I think estimates for those impacted in the UK range from anywhere from one in five to one in seven individuals will suffer with depression at some point in their life. So it is it's quite a large scale issue. Yeah, actually, I, before we chatted, I, I did a little bit of homework uh, as well. And I got some WHO figures, World Health Organization figures. Yeah. And it said that, um, it was estimated that 700,000 people uh, worldwide die of suicide every 12 months. So that's that's a suicide every 40 seconds. You know, this is just huge. It's massive. And it's, it's something we don't often talk about. We talk about people living with depression, but we don't often talk about how many people die from it. Yes, abs- yeah, absolutely. So well, let's just move on, on to, to living with depression. A little bit now I, i'm lucky I've, I've not had depression and sort of my family members haven't had a depression either really so this this is a bit of an impossible question annie so apologies for that but i don't know if it's possible to really give an idea of what depression is because this is not having a bad crummy day because we all we're all used to that we know that so can you help people try and understand sort of what extra it is because you know I'm fairly fortunate. I'm very fortunate. Okay, it ha- it hasn't happened to me. So kind of enlighten me on just how how it can affect you and what it's like. Oh wow, yeah, that is a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I, think, yeah, apologies. Yeah, it is just so all encompassing. I think when you have a bad day, you kind of you have this awareness that it's a bad day and that it's going to end, and you wake up tomorrow and you get to start again. Whereas depression it's cumulative bad days it's like they all stack up on top of each other and it starts to be that you can't imagine any better days Uh, like for me I just get so tired 
I just feel heavy. But then in this kind of cruel twist of fate, like I can't sleep at night. I really struggle to eat. Um, and then that just begins to interfere with everything. Like I can't work. I can't socialize. I just haven't got the energy. And I think, yeah, it just goes so far beyond what I think people see is this kind of you just sit around crying and feeling sad. Like actually you, you feel more like numb, just completely indifferent to anything. Like stuff that used to give you joy doesn't. Stuff that should make you angry doesn't. Like it's yeah, it's frightening. It's a really frightening place to be. So you, you kind of lose the ability to function pretty much. Completely, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, right. I think we've established it's a serious problem and it's a truly horrible thing when it affects you. Um, however, there are you know, there, there are treatments around, you know, there are antidepressant, there is antidepressant medication. Um, is there is there a need for something else? You know, what's wrong with what we've got? Yeah, um, it's a great, it's a great point. And, I, you know, I'll say that there are a number of people out there that use antidepressants and are happy with them, right? And and they certainly are prevalent. They, they are generally inexpensive, they're generally accessible. It's estimated that of the people treated for depression, 80% will be given drugs. So to your point, you know, that seems like a lot must be working, but the reality is they're actually quite ineffective for many. So less than a third of people on antidepressants will go on to experience remission from depression. And beyond that, actually what is more, you know, paralyzing for many folks is the, is the side effects. So around 60% of antidepressant users will experience multiple side effects. And these are quite serious, oh, yeah. right? What, 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 what sort of, I can, Annie was nodding there. So yeah. perhaps you can tell us some of the, some of the side effects that you might've come across. Oh God. I mean, for me, there was like nothing it didn't affect. Like they stopped me sleeping, definitely sort of gave me worse insomnia. I ground my teeth, which was supposed to be a rare one. Um, <laughs> they messed up my tummy. They gave me headaches. And this was just constant, like all the time, just felt like this base right. level of physically unwell <laughs> on top of feeling quite mentally unwell. So they right. stank for me. But, um, you know, I know that lots of people are on them and they're okay with them. So. Okay, but so the, the potentially side effects, which are pretty horrible. So, if there is a way to kind of get over the depression and um, not have to deal with the side effects, this sounds like a good thing. So, Erin, this way you 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 have uh, developed uh, a device to help with that. What 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 is it? Yes, we have. So at Flow, we have um, our treatment platform, which at the heart of which is really our Flow headset. So what the headset is is a brain stimulation wearable which maybe sounds a little sci-fi, but the reality is it's quite straightforward, right? We leverage a technology called transcranial direct stimulation or TDCS. It's actually, just this, this doesn't sound sci-fi at all. It sounds like a throwback at the moment to like the 1930s and electric shock therapy. Yes, yes. And, you know, I think some people say, Aaron, is this like one flew over the cuckoo's nest? And the reality is no. The, the mechanism of action, they, they are distant cousins. So for, for hundreds of years, actually going all the way back to ancient Greece, electricity has been studied as a way of writing sort of natural impulses, right? Our body operates on electricity. So there's a lot of science behind this. And that's effectively what we tap into. We use that mild electrical current to target the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, a mouthful, but that's the area of the brain responsible for, for depression. So effectively, what you see in studies, people with depression often have less activity in this region of the brain, right? And so your neurons generally fire. What we do is for people with depression where they don't have that activity, we use that current 
to stimulate that brain activity and thus, you know, reduce depressive symptoms. Okay. All right. So I was going to ask you, you know, what, what is the current actually doing to the brain? Um, so you, you kind of answered that there. You're, you're saying it makes the brain in some areas work a bit more. Yeah, I mean, your brain runs on electricity, right? Your neurons are firing constantly, but those with depression often have less activity, right? So that's why you hear about things like brain fog, low mood. And so we're sort of nudging it along. And so we're a much gentler version of those, you know, those scary electric shock therapies you've heard in the past, which are, are quite harsh. This is just a gentle nudge, sort of like a help in the right direction is the way I sort of uh, would position it. Okay, so I mean, what led to the development of this? So. Uh, Erin, are you, are you a neuroscientist or a, a brain surgeon or something? What, what's your uh, what's your input? I am neither of those, actually. So I'm less interesting than that. But um, so our co-founders are indeed sort of a, a former psychiatrist and um, an AI scientist and a hardware developer. And I think you know Daniel, who's who's the co-founder and sort of the brains, for lack of not to make a pun, but the brains behind the operation. Effectively, he was treating patients every day and saw how abysmal treatment options were. Uh, whether right. it was depression, PTSD, drugs weren't working, there weren't affordable alternatives. And in looking into the science and, and some of the, you know, the studies that he was seeing, there was a, a ton of potential to harness electricity. And so that was sort of the impetus behind uh, Flow's early device and, and where we are today. Okay, so, so how long has it been around? Uh, we've been in market in the UK for almost three years now, uh, but the company itself is about eight years old. Okay, all right. So so it's a headset. So Annie, maybe you can take us through what you actually do when you're using it. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid I haven't got it with me. I should have, but... Um, it's all yeah, right, it's radio. It doesn't matter. You just describe it. Oh, yeah, of it. course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that was really dumb. But yeah, you, it has an app. So you go on the app and you connect it up via Bluetooth. And then it has these sort of wetted saline pads that go kind of get like attached to the headset and then you just pop that on and okay. then just sit for half an hour and, and chill basically like I know lots of people do just pot around the house but I choose to to take half an hour of enforced relaxation <laughs> it's it's quite nice to do that twice a week and yeah I was going to say all right so it's not every day you know it's it's twice a week for half an hour uh yeah but well after the there's an initial three weeks where you do five times a week i mean i think erin can probably speak to this better than i can but yeah there's like an activation phase at the beginning and then a maintenance phase after that um and you can reset periodically if you need to okay so is, is there like a dial on this thing can you turn it up if you if that's what you require is is kind of the use of the thing personalized or one size fits all um so either of you and Oh, yeah, maybe Erin could speak better. <laughs> okay. OK, so the device we have right now is, is one size fits all, and it's based on our clinical trials and the montage that we use. So we, we always lead with the science. Um, as Annie mentioned, you can personalize the frequency of the treatment. And those those individuals that work with a clinician, as, as many of our users do, um, are able to further personalize sort of frequency, length. Um, we do have. Some new devices in development which will allow greater personalization so strength targeting location uh, which we're pretty excited about but today it's, it's one size okay but you can change the frequency so what why might you want to do that i mean if your skull is a bit thicker or your head's a slightly different so no i mean that, that might sound no, it's a very fair question it wasn't, it's a very fair question. it wasn't meant to 
No, no, it's a very fair question. So by frequency, I mean the number of times you use the device um, every week. One of the things we're looking at, though, to your point around sort of physiology and, and our next devices is um, the location, for example, of the stimulation pads. People's skulls are a little bit different. There's no evidence today uh, that that matters in terms of treatment, but we're, we, we really want to be a, an entirely personalized uh, custom device, which is what we're working towards. Yeah. So, that, yeah, let me ask you a question about that, because the, the impression I get is that all our brains are, are kind of quite fluid. So in general, um, parts of our brain take care of parts of our lives, but it's not hard and fast and, and, and sort of set. And the, the, the brains are kind of fluid. So could the area of the brain that you're looking to influence be really quite different from person to person? And you know, how, how can you possibly deal with that? It's, it's such early days in the science, but in general, like what you'll see in sort of the, the breadth of research is that the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is generally responsible for mood, um, impulse control, things like that. And so that's generally true across individuals. Now, I think the question and, and some of what you see in, in more recent research is where is that, you know, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex located? Um, and what do the sort of brain patterns look like in a particular individual? Do they look different? Do different individuals experience depression in different ways? And the answer to all of that is yes. And what we try and sort of measure is how much does it matter and what does that mean for the product and, and sort of the customization. Right. What a, so, okay, I, I, I get that. What about if, I don't know, someone by mistake puts the thing on back to front and they stimulate a part of their brain that actually is working fine and it could look after, I don't know, speech or something like that. I mean, are they, are they gonna start talking very fast or are there any dangers of potentially stimulating a part of the brain that is fine? So um, it's, it's an interesting concept. We, I, I don't think people could put it on backwards, but they might. I think what I would reiterate is that the current that we use is extremely mild, right? And it's less than you'd find in a nine volt battery, right? It's, it's very low um, and right. it's incredibly safe, right? So, you know, we have over 10,000 users in the UK. We've, we've done a number of clinical studies and we have none of the serious side effects. Um, that you see with drugs, for example. So most of our users, if they do have a side effect, will say sort of redness at the site. But what you're saying is a very good question. And I think, you know, you will see devices on the market that aren't regulated, that are sort of fly by night, you can get them on Amazon, they look like battery packs. And I think if you look, if you read the reviews from those users, um, they do have negative effects because they aren't regulated and they aren't safe uh, and they aren't tested in, in the way that ours, are, that ours is. Actually, a question I didn't ask Annie, which I should have done. When you're wearing this thing, although it's a, a very uh, low, small electrical current, can you feel anything? Is there a little bit of a buzz or can you hear anything? Um, no, you can't hear anything. Um, but it does It does kind of tingle a little bit. It's sort of just on the cusp of stinging, but it doesn't quite sting. Like it tingles. So you right. can definitely feel it. Like okay. you know it's doing something. Yeah. You, know, you mostly oh, just okay, feel the wet of the of the pads. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And can you can you put it? This is a basic question. I should have asked this before. Can, does it work through hair, or do you have to tie your hair no, back? No, I have to. Shave I have to put hair my fringe up, and yeah. <laughs> but no, you have to put it on on the bare skin. In fact, my head's very tiny, and the the headset kind of rings are quite big, so it just covers like from eyebrow to to hairline for me. 
Um, whereas I think some people have a bit more forehead real estate to work with. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, yeah, OK, it works better if you've got a big forehead or it's just a bit easier anyway. I, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. All right. So I've got to say this this whole thing is uh, intriguing. And from what we've said about the number of people that suffer from depression and um, the number of people that medication really doesn't work, this uh, is potentially sounds like it could help a lot of people. That's absolutely sort of our hope and sort of what drives us every day. Excellent. So, and and your, well, your, your background is you're, you're the business behind it, are you? That's right. So I, I actually spent most of my early career, about you know, 10 years in consumer technology. So, um, you know, companies like Google and Uber that are focused on, you know, user experiences, delightful experiences. I spent some time in digital health uh, for four and a half years before joining Flow, uh, which is, you know, my, my goal is to bring it to as many people as possible. Right. Well, from that point of view, the statistics of how many people may suffer from de depression might, might, might be a good thing. <laughs> Yes, although, you know, I, I always say I would love to be in a place where we, we don't have a business anymore because, you know, I don't think any of us want to see suffering. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a sort of a double-edged sword. Yeah, no, I, I get it. That last comment was slightly facetious. <laughs> no, no, yeah. um, but they say, yeah. Yeah. All right, so look, if, if, if people are, are, are listening to this and thinking, you know, actually, this does sound quite interesting. This potentially could even help me. Um, Two, two questions, really. How, how can people find out a bit more about it? And, and certainly in the UK, you know, can they get it on the NHS? Um, so the first part is you can learn more about Flow at flowneuroscience.com. Pretty straightforward. And, and there you'll find a list of sort of all of our clinical trials, more information on how it works and how it's priced. Um, we also work with over 80 clinics across the EU. So it is possible that we may, you know, work with one of the private clinics. And then to your point on the NHS, are we available on the NHS? Not yet. Although we do have a few pilots um, with the Northamptonshire Trust looking at sort of user response rates and, and experience and ultimately results in cost savings to the NHS. And our goal, as I mentioned earlier, is really to drive accessibility and affordability. And so we are hopeful that we will have NHS coverage um, yeah. either later this year or early next year. Certainly, I would imagine one thing that the NHS will be looking at will be uh, you know, peer reviewed published information that the thing actually works. Um, Absolutely. Is, is, is there any of that? Is there, can people see that on your website? So we've just, we do have some of our uh, clinical, our previous clinical trials, but we just completed our FDA pivotal trial, which had about 180 people across the US and the UK. So it's one of the largest, if not the largest uh, clinical trial of TDCF in history. Um, and we have just completed that. So I'm not ready to share results quite yet, but we will be doing that in, in the coming weeks uh, and that will absolutely be made available. Okay, so that will that be on your website How, or, or how, how are you going to share that? Because presumably you're trying to get it published in a in a high ranking journal. A, yes. So the abstract will be available and then the, the academic partners that we work with will work on submitting and publishing. Good. All right. What, what's the what's the timeline on that? Uh, hopefully before the end of the year. So we, we aim to apply for FDA um, approval before the end of the month. So very, very shortly. And then the abstract submissions will follow sort of on a similar timeline. Okay. Well, when the, when the when those results are, are published, uh, it, I'd love to invite you back on because I think that could be another very interesting chat. Yeah, I'd love that. 
Okay, but for now, uh, Annie and Erin, thank you very much indeed for spending a few minutes chatting about this. I mean, it, it does sound very interesting, potentially very exciting and could help a lot of people. So many thanks. Thank you very much. The next guest on the Relax Back UK show is David Marsh. He is Chief Executive of the New Victoria Hospital in Kingston, London. Um, and it's a big year for the New Victoria Hospital. Uh, I started off by asking him why. Well, we celebrated or are celebrating our 125th anniversary this year. In fact, it is, uh, was in May, uh, just passed. Uh, we were born in December 1898. And the reason why I say May is because we were initially on the site across the road from where Kingston uh, Hospital is at the moment. And uh, we moved to our current site on Coombe Lane West in 1958. So we're okay. celebrating our 125th anniversary. All right, so you said it was born in 1898. Tell me a bit about the birth. Was it a difficult birth? <laughs> well, I should say when we were formed, yes, it was a, a, a voluntary hospital that was formed by local GPs and doctors um, as a hospital to serve the sick and the dying in and around the Kingston area. It was known as the Kingston Victoria Hospital at the time. Um, the doctors provided their uh, treatment for free and patients were um, also for, treated for free, uh, funded by public donations. So that was the purpose of the hospital um, until 1948 when the NHS was formed, which is now 75 years old. Uh, it was a, decided that uh, the voluntary hospitals were to be subsumed into the NHS at that time. And the Kingston Victoria Hospital, which had become commonly known as the Victoria Hospital, uh, the doctors and GPs uh, tried to fight the fact that they were going to be uh, subsumed into the NHS uh, and took the Southwest Metropolitan Health Board to task about taking over the hospital. Uh, fought a battle for two years, lost it. So the hospital was taken over by the NHS in 1951 and became part of Kingston Hospital. Right. The doctors then formed a uh, medical foundation, the Kingston Victoria Medical Foundation, about uh, regrouping and forming a new hospital uh, to do with exactly the same purposes and objectives, which is what they did. And they bought our current site in uh, for £10,000. And in 1958, we were reborn as the new Victoria Hospital uh, with the same objectives as the original in 1898. Okay, so when it was running, when it was sort of reborn, if you like, as the new Victoria Hospital, um, was, it, was it still free? I can't believe it was. It, yes, it was. Uh, I couldn't tell you for exactly how many years they continued to provide charitable services for free. Uh, it became apparent to them at the time that they were no longer able to sustain that. And so they started to open what they called fee-paying beds. And I think they started with two from uh, the records that we've got. And eventually it became impossible for them to continue. So the hospital became a fee-paying hospital, although it had charitable status. And whether they then we don't have records continue to provide free treatments as a, uh, alongside fee-paying treatment, I couldn't tell you. Right. But it became a fee-paying hospital from then on in. Right. So, and what's the status now? Is it is the status of the hospital a charity? We are a charity, yes, very much so. We're an independent hospital. We have our parent charity, which is the Victoria Foundation. They themselves are a charity with very similar objectives to ourselves, but we very much are a charitable hospital. 
right so do you still have you know some beds that are open for free for you know for, for deserving cases Yes, we well. When you say beds, we provide treatment for free for a, a variety of patients. We have a very good association with the Richmond Rugby Club, where we provide some cardiology, cardiology diagnostic services for them. In terms of the, the what they call the Richmond Heavies, which is the uh, group of players that are forty plus years old uh, that continue to play rugby, <laughs> but we also then <laughs> take care of uh, patients uh, who either request treatment uh, through the hospital for a particular reason they are unable to afford it mostly it comes from a con one of the consultants who says you know i have a patient i need to see them for x y and z uh, they cannot afford it for a variety of reasons are you able to waive your fee for me to be able to do whatever the treatment is and yes we certainly do that we don't publicize it but we do it on a frequent basis sure and so presumably the, the other patients they're either kind of uh, self-pay or paid they pay via their health insurance yeah the majority of the patients that come to the hospital have private medical insurance but we have a, a substantial group of patients who are what we call self-pay right okay it's, it's probably an impossible question but uh, uh, do you do you or, or a very difficult question do you have a feel for the kind of the percentage of those that are on self-pay those that are on health insurance and those that are on the the, the, the charitable type work yeah, well, as it's quite difficult because you either look at it from percentage of our revenue comes from which group of, of patients or you look at the activity, i.e. the number of people coming into the hospital. And they sort of vary, obviously, in terms of the percentages because revenue versus activity uh, can be quite different. But the mm. easiest way to look at it for us is from a revenue point of view. So approximately 25% of our revenue is derived from self-pay patients and the remaining revenue that we generate is from either patients treated that uh, through the NHS or through private medical insurance and or we work with third parties plus our charitable patients. Right okay okay so a, a, a good covering of, of them all. For the, for the self-pay actually because recently you know there's been a lot of talk how NHS waiting lists are very long and all the rest of it. Um, have you noticed more people sort of coming to you and saying, look, I've been waiting for my NHS knee operation or whatever for, for months. Can I just get it done with you? I'll, I'll pay. Is that is that sort of happening more often? We started to see a spike probably about a year ago where our self-pay activity certainly increased substantially. Um, it sort of has plateaued at the moment. And um, what consultants tell me is that they are seeing more and more GP type appointments where before they may have seen say 20 patients in their clinic that were genuinely there for a consultation about whether they needed some sort of form of treatment or whether they needed some more conservative type treatment they now seen more GP type appointments we say they've seen 30 people so they're getting an extra say, 10 patients who are saying um, I have this problem and the consultant will say, well, actually, you just need a course of antibiotics. And the, and the reason why they're coming to see the consultant is because they can't access their GP. So yeah. we've seen the increase in self-pay, but it's not necessarily strictly related to those who need some form of surgical intervention. It's more a lot of GP-type appointments as well. All right. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I'll very much so. <laughs> I mean, presumably that's as a result of some people finding it hard to 
uh, get appointments uh, with the GP, which isn't over the whole country for sure. Um, I see. I've, I've recently I've been able to get uh, GP appointments uh, generally on the phone. Actually, it's been very efficient where I live, so that, that's probably uh, patchy around the country. Uh, but that, I, I imagine that's potentially a topic for a whole nother a whole nother chat. Um, Definitely, yes. Yeah. And, and actually, what what you what I really want to pick your brains uh, and uh, tell me about really today is you you're 125 years old. The hospital is 125 years old, and you're you're celebrating with kind of in, in a special way. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, well, we decided that uh, to celebrate 125 years, we'd go back to our roots, which is where the consultants and the doctors and GPs that formed the hospital provided their services for free and patients were treated for free. So we looked at developing an, uh, an initiative and we've called it the Community Champion Initiative at New Victoria Hospital, whereby we are providing £125,000 worth of free medical treatment for patients that need to put their case forward to the hospital as to why they need treatment, telling us about themselves, uh, the difficulties they may have accessing treatment and the way that it may transform their lives uh, at present. So we put this initiative together, we've put it out there to the community to say, we want to give back to those that have supported the hospital over 125 years by providing this free treatment and recognizing that there's a lot of turmoil in the healthcare market at the moment, there are barriers to access. And here we are trying to do our best to say, thank you for supporting us and we're here to help. Okay. Do you, do you have a feel for, um, well, two things really, the, the sorts of ailments that uh, this might help with? Is it aimed at any particular kind of area of health and you know how many people it might help as well uh, we don't have a feel for how many people we don't really have a feel for what type of ailments it can be that somebody might just need a second opinion it could be that someone has been told you need a surgical intervention and you're going to need to wait for 12 months 18 months and it could be life-changing for that particular individual so there'll be a variety of reasons that people would want to seek help um, and so we don't have a feel for any of that. All we can say is that you can apply through the link on our website. It will tell you what services we do offer, because obviously we do not do everything that is available out there. And then put together your case, apply online, and it will be evaluated by our committee. And they will determine from a clinical perspective, can we help? Why should we be helping? And therefore, yes we can give you uh, uh, medical assistance. If, actually, before we chatted, I had a little look on your website and um, I got to the priceless part. And a knee, a knee replacement is over 14,000 £14, pounds. So I was thinking, well, a although 125,000 pounds sounds like an awful lot of money, and it is, uh, and I, you know, I'm not knocking that that's a, quite a, a generous thing. You know, actually that, that does less than 10 knee replacements. So, um, although you did say you're going to you're helping all sorts of different people, but in those terms, I was thinking, hmm, okay, they might only help ten people or so. Well, certainly you're quite right, but we want to try and look at the broad range of services we provide, and not say we're going to do ten knee replacements and that's it. We really want to help people across the spectrum, 
Uh, I'm not saying we're here to limit it to one knee replacement or two knee replacements. It all depends upon the application that's come through the, the, their case, their diagnosis, their prognosis, and it's to be evaluated by a committee that is made up of clinical people and non-clinical people as to give somebody who is really deserving of treatment, uh, and that can be for anything, whether it be a medical intervention or a surgical intervention. We want to help as many people as we can across the spectrum rather than focus just, say, on orthopedics. Right. So when, when people apply uh, for this help, uh, uh, and you know they write down what their health issues are. Do they? Uh, is there a space on the form for any other information? You know about I don't know what they've done in life, what they hope to do in life, or that sort of stuff. Yes, there's free text for them to uh, put together a compelling case and tell us about themselves, why this treatment would transform their lives, how they got to this point. And, uh, you know, what the treatment, as I said, will, will do for them. So what, however they want to tell us about themselves and their case, they are free to provide that information. And we in, encourage them to do so because the more we understand about the individual concern, the, the better it is for a committee to look at that case and say, yes, this is certainly something we can do to assist. Do you know, what? While, you, while you were talking, I was thinking, I'm really glad I'm not on that committee. On one hand, you can provide help to people, which is fantastic. But on the other hand, you've got to turn around and say, sorry, pal, you don't make the grade. You're, you're not deserving enough, which, which is probably a bit of an unfair way of saying it. Um, but, you know, decisions have to be made. Some people get help and some people won't. Yes, it's it's certainly as as you've just said, it's it's a, a decision, a clinical decision that will be made, and it's about trying to assist people to make a difference to their lives. So it is always going to be uh, a case versus another case, not a competition at all. This is all about us saying we want to help you. You have had a barrier to access healthcare for whatever reason, and we are here, therefore, to try and do our best to provide assistance to you to transform your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yes, anyway, a, 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 a very, potentially quite a difficult decision uh, to have to make. So is, is this open to people just in the Kingston, London area, or the whole of the UK, or how, how does that work? We've opened it up to the whole of the UK because you cannot just restrict it to an area. We certainly treat patients from a broad range of postcodes within the UK. So we don't want to restrict it just to Kingston. We want to open it up to the community that has supported us. And it might seem odd that the word I'm using is community because it tends to indicate that it is localised. It very much is uh, appreciated that the local community do support us in a big way, but we do have patients from all over the country. Okay, so if, if people are listening to this and thinking, goodness, you know, I've been waiting for my hip replacement or whatever it might be for months, I, I would like to try and take advantage of this uh, kind offer. Uh, what do people do and how long have they got to apply? Well, they need to apply um, certainly by the, um, uh, the 11th of September is when applications will close. And then we will notify successful applicants by the 2nd of October. Okay. And the details of how to apply, they're on your website? 
Yes, they need to just go to our main website, www.newvictoria.co.uk, and they will look for a section that says, Be Our Community Champion. They click on that link, and they will find more information from there about the application form and the process. Okay, all right. Any any pointers or advice for someone who's going to think, uh, just listening to this and thinking, right, I'm going to apply now? Well, I would encourage uh, those people who may know of somebody that uh, needs help, that may be a little bit hesitant in their in their self-belief about applying and how they go about applying because they might not have the abilities to apply or they may find using a website quite difficult to go ahead and nominate them themselves because I think that's really key. We just don't want to limited to somebody as an individual to apply because we recognize that some people may not have the necessary skills to use uh, the information technology uh, technology at the moment and so yes we encourage it from a broad range of people individuals people who nominate and say well this is a really deserving person that i know personally and i really feel that they would be they would benefit from the treatment so that really is what we want to encourage it from everyone. We, we, we're really trying to say a big thank you, and we're here to help you as best we can with in somewhat limited resources to the £125,000. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, I hope it goes very well and you're able to help um, a lot of people. Uh, so, David, thank you very much indeed for telling us all about the hospital and about... Uh, this um this event well i really appreciate it mike our community champion initiative is really important to us in our 125th year we look forward to uh, publicizing how we've helped transform people's lives over the coming months um, and long may this continue uh, we will see uh, how it goes I, I know to date that we've had approximately 12 applications already uh, since we went live two days ago so that's encouraging news and we really uh, invite as many applications as possible. Very good, very good. Thanks for chatting. Thank you very much, Mike. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were Erin Lee, CEO of Flow Neuroscience and Annie. And they were both talking about a depression. And then it was David Marsh, the chief exec of the New Victoria Hospital in Kingston, London. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. And please do have a healthy week until next week. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like, and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week until next week.